Welcome! You're listening to audio of Bible teaching from Island Community Church in downtown Memphis, Tennessee. At ICC, we are being transformed by Jesus to impact our world. Wherever you are as you listen today, we want you to know that we love and appreciate you. We're so glad you're here. We hope today's message will help you grow in relationship with Jesus. You can access more gospel resources and ways to connect with our church at iccmemphis.com. Thanks again for joining us. As I uh, begin this uh, focus on the um, rhythm of prayer, let me just remind you of where you've been. You all have a diagram to illustrate uh, the the rhythms of um, spiritual walk with the Lord. And uh, one of those you've been focused on most recently is the rhythm of the Word. And you've looked at uh, the different uh, habits of meditation and study and reading for that. The next uh, rhythm, and I've been asked to introduce it to you, is the rhythm of prayer. And uh, you'll notice that the habits you'll be looking at over the course of this month are Uh, prayer and fasting and um, journaling and listening. And uh, I I got the invitation to introduce this topic to you, and I'm thinking I've got a shelf of books like this on prayer in my library and the next shelf of books on prayer and another shelf and, and then they're scattered all around my library, <laughs> uh, books on prayer. A lot's been written on prayer. Uh, not only how to pray, but the stories of people who are God, godly men and women of prayer. And I have been tremendously influenced by many of those writers and their stories. And, and my thought is, how do you condense that into a, a brief message on prayer? But I want to touch on some things that I hope will be meaningful to you as we look at this uh, rhythm of prayer. And uh, the good news is, for me, you all aren't new to prayer. Uh, If you know the Lord and you've ever talked to Him, you've been uh, involved in prayer. And my prayer is that today uh, this will be a a meaningful um, introduction to this rhythm of prayer and in my experience, I'm getting on up there in years like Tom. And, um, but my experience has been that even the most godly men and women of prayer aren't satisfied with their prayer life. Because we all know that there's more and uh, deeper meaningful relationship with the Lord that I need and more time I need with him. And, and so um, my prayer is that perhaps today the Lord will help you to take a next step in your own walk with him. Um, prayer is not just a religious activity, but it's a relationship with a person. And I want to share with you my own story that uh, I was deeply impacted actually regarding both these two rhythms that uh, we've looked at, the, the Word and prayer. Uh, when I was in the ninth grade, I grew up, my dad was a pastor, 
Uh, we moved to Murfreesboro, Tennessee when I was six years old, and I came to know the Lord at a young age, but I grew up in, a, we went there, uh, he was the first pastor of uh, Southeast Baptist Church. We met in Hobgood Elementary School, and we started off with 17 people. And uh, so I began and grew up in a relatively small church, and we would go to Ridgecrest Conference Center every year, and there were maybe one or two kids my age in my church, and I'd go to Ridgecrest, and there'd be 200 kids my age. And in the ninth grade, our uh, teacher that time uh, challenged us to read our Bible every day, and I'm a preacher's kid, but I had never been engaged in a daily Bible study, and I just sensed, I'm going to do that. I went to the Baptist bookstore, I bought a new Bible, and I began reading it. And throughout high school, as far as I can remember, with very few exceptions, I was in God's Word every day. Now, I usually read it at night, and there were a lot of times I fell asleep. <laughs> read this word, but I was reading his word, and there was something in my heart that I want to obey what God's been saying to me. And God uses his word to speak to us, to mold and shape us, to develop our character, to help us be the people he wants us and has created us to be. And that was a significant part of my growth all through high school. I'm in God's Word, and I'm wanting to become the kind of person He wants me to be. And uh, He's correcting and instructing me. And uh, the Scripture says that uh, He's transforming us into the image of His Son. And He's taken this uh, raw, <laughs> uh, raw piece of uh, clay, and He's molding and shaping me into the vessel of His choosing. A second thing that happened to me about this same time, though, in eighth grade, I had a science teacher that asked us to write a research paper on a topic of our choice, and I didn't know what to write about, and he recommended archaeology, and I didn't know what that was, so I thought, well, that'll be a good topic to study, and I began to study. I wrote the paper. After I finished, I uh, realized that archaeology is a study of previous cultures and it's a study of the, the artifacts they've left around to tell us about their culture. And uh, I turned the paper in, and he said, Claude, would you like to go arrowhead hunting? Uh, in Middle Tennessee, and it's true all over the country, I guess, there are places where farmers, when they plow their ground up, if there were, uh, is a Native American site on that property, they usually turn up stuff. And if you go at the right times, you can find Indian artifacts. And he took me arrowhead hunting. We found a sack full of arrowheads that day, and I got hooked. And all through high school, I was planning to be an archaeologist. And I went arrowhead hunting, and I spent hours and hours and hours out in the field with not much to do but keep your eyes open, turn over rocks that look promising, and put the arrowheads in your bag. Well, it's me and God out there. And I, I look back and I realize that I think God gave me the interest in archaeology because he wanted to have a lot of time one-on-one -on -one, one -on -one with me. And um, 
I talked to him about everything. Decisions I had to make, problems I was dealing with, relationships. Uh, there were times I would just praise him for the beauty of the creation I saw around me. And there were times I'd talk to him about my future and plans and uh, all kinds of things. I just talked to God about everything for hours. And I look back on those uh, years and I realized God was cultivating a uh, personal love relationship with me through prayer. And uh, prayer is a relationship. It's not just religious activities. It's not just something you do as a habit. It's a relationship with a person. And we have the privilege of having that kind of interaction with the Lord. And so, and, and these two things go together. You get into the Word and God's speaking to us through His Word. And then you talk to Him in prayer and He's speaking in prayer as well. But it's uh, also the kind of thing you can ask Him questions and you can pray about needs and you can pray for other people. And God began to mold and shape my life in a significant way. I went off to University of Tennessee planning to be an archaeologist. And um, two months in to being at UT, I realized God wanted me to work with live things instead of dead things. And I sensed this call to ministry. Didn't know what, but um, began to prepare myself. Um, Prayer is a relationship with a person, and we need to keep that in our focus as we're talking about this rhythm. It's not just an activity you do and check off your to-do list every day. It's a relationship with your Creator. And uh, another thing, though, about um, uh, prayer as a relationship, uh, when I worked with Henry Blackaby, on experiencing God, one of the things we ran into is that uh, God, uh, reality number two is that God pursues a continuing love relationship with you that's real and personal. And uh, I'm out of order with the PowerPoint, so I'll go back to that other slide in a moment. But God pursues a love relationship with you. That's what he did with me out in the fields. But we found out that people who'd had poor experiences with an earthly father had trouble getting close to God as a heavenly father. And I remember talking to a college student one time, and she came up to me and she said, I've got a problem. And I was wondering if you could help me with my problem. She said, I got saved when I was nine years old. She's now in college. She said, and I don't want to pray. And I don't want to read my Bible. And I know Christians are supposed to want to do that. And I don't want to do that. What's wrong with me? Well, I asked her about her salvation experience. And she told me how she had come to Christ at age nine. And uh, it sounded real to me. And as we talked, uh, she said, my dad is in the military and we've moved around a lot. And she said, every time we'd move to a new post and join a new chapel, I'd uh, talk to my new pastor, and I'd tell him about my problem. And she said, every one of six pastors, every one of them have told me the same thing. Your problem is you're not saved. And she started crying, and she said, I've been baptized six times. I'm humiliated. I know I got saved when I was nine. I just don't know what's wrong with me. And uh, 
I didn't know exactly what to do with that, but I, uh, I've learned to pray and talk to people, and I had already learned that this relationship with an earthly father could be an issue. And so I said, uh, tell me what it was like growing up with your dad. She said, oh, he was an alcoholic. And she said, uh, he never hurt me physically, but his words hurt me really deeply. She said he would tell me how ugly I was and lazy and good for nothing and I'd never amount to anything and his words hurt so bad I never wanted to be around my dad because he was always condemning me. And uh, he never showed any interest in wanting to be around me or spend time with me. And I said, do you think it's possible that unconsciously you have attributed your earthly father's characteristics to your heavenly father and consequently, you don't want to read his word because you think it's just going to tell me how bad I am. And you don't want to pray because you think he's not interested in me, he doesn't have time for me. And her eyes got real big and she said, that's it. And she reached up and grabbed my shoulders and started shaking me. <laughs> and she said, you got to help me. And was able to pray with her. And uh, people who have been in bondage to something in their past, they need to be set free from that bondage to their past and have an intimate fellowship with the Heavenly Father and allow Him to mold and shape them and to, to realize that His love is different than an earthly father's love. It's a perfect love. It's a pure, holy love. It's an everlasting love. He's always going to be there, and He's never going to leave us or forsake us. And over the years, I've had the opportunity to minister to lots of people and lots of issues, but uh, that one is a big one. Whether it's an earthly father or some other important person in your life, you can go through life walking backwards uh, with a focus on your past, and you have to turn around. That's a repentance any, uh, in, in a way. Turn around and get your focus on the Lord and allow him to mold and shape you into his image. And, and God can allow those memories from the past to grow dim. Let me back up to that other slide, if you don't mind. Um, I wrote a little booklet a number of years ago called Consecrate the People. And I was studying the word consecrate in the Old Testament. One of the words for consecrate is uh, sanctify. It means to cleanse, to purify, to make holy, to put away the profane and the unholy, to be set apart for God's purposes, and we need to do that. But uh, the other word for consecrate is made up of two Hebrew words. One of the words means an open hand. It's not a closed hand, but it's an open hand. And the other word means to fill up. So literally, the word means to fill up the open hands. Well, my first thought was, what in the world's that got to do with consecration? And so I began to do a, some study, and I got to thinking about the fact that a priest would be standing by the altar the temp, in the temple, and he was holding out open hands, and you select an offering or sacrifice to bring to the temple to consecrate it to God. And you select one that's without spot or blemish, knowing that's the only kind that would be acceptable to a holy God, and you bring it to the temple. As long as it's in your hands, it's yours. But when you fill up the open hands of the priest, it's now consecrated to God. It's dedicated to God. It belongs to God. 
all of it belongs to God and it becomes holy because God is holy. When I understood the meaning of that term, I began to read all the occasions where it's used. And, uh, and it shocked me that it's never used for an animal sacrifice. It's never used for a grain offering. It's never used for a drink offering. It is only used for people who are consecrated to God. And so when God said to Moses, consecrate Aaron and his sons to me as priests, that's the term that's used. When he said, consecrate the Levites for the work of the temple, that's the term that's used. Well, that got me to thinking about what Paul said in Romans 12, 1, where he said, in light of all of God's mercies, I beg you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. And by the way, this is a reasonable expectation of your worship. Uh, Paul didn't use the word consecrate there, but that's exactly the meaning of this term consecrate to be set apart and dedicated for God's purposes. Uh, Paul later wrote to the church at Corinth, he said, don't you know your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and you are not your own. You've been bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body. He later wrote and he said, uh, because he suffered and died for us, we are no longer to serve ourselves, but we're to serve the one who died for us. Well, as I begin to think about all of those scriptures, I remember reading about a medieval ceremony, uh, a book by Andrew Murray mentioned a medieval ceremony that had something to do with prayer and open hands. And so uh, I did some research and I came across the homage ceremony in the homage ceremony, it began in Europe probably around the 9th century A.D. A king would bring his vassals, his subjects, his serfs before him to pledge their loyalty and obedience to the king. And he would hold out open hands, so you can understand why I got to thinking about this. The subject would come and get on his knees, put his palms together, and he'd place his hands inside the hands of his king and he would say these words, I'm your man. The word homage comes from the Latin word for man. And it was a simple pledge, but it meant a lot. It meant, I belong to you, and whatever you ask of me, I will obey. Christians who had to participate in that homage ceremony got to thinking, wait a minute. We've got a king in heaven who deserves our loyalty and obedience far more than this earthly king. And they developed a new posture for prayer. Do you recognize that posture? Getting on both knees, palms together, head bowed. Uh, that posture for prayer, uh, I thought it was a biblical posture, but uh, typically they prayed with hands lifted and eyes to heaven. We do read about Daniel who knelt three times a day and prayed, but more than likely that was face on the ground kneeling the way you see it practiced all over the Middle Eastern world even today. Um, and frequently in the Old Testament it says they knelt with their face on the ground. But this posture for prayer began to appear in church practice in the 12th century A.D., 
And what would happen is this. Christians would begin their day kneeling to pray, and they would realize, I'm entering into the very throne room of heaven where King Jesus is seated on his throne, and he's holding out nail-scarred hands to me, saying, Claude, today I want your life, but not part of it, all of it. And they would pray, and I'm guessing something like this, King Jesus, today, I'm your man, I'm your woman, my time is yours, my job, my career is yours, my possessions, my finances are yours, my uh, plans and ambitions for the future belong to you, my family belongs to you, my health belongs to you, my very life is yours command me. I'll obey you. Would that make a difference in your prayer life? What do you think would happen if every day the folks at Island Community Church would begin the day with that kind of a prayer of surrender to Jesus to say, Jesus, today I'm yours. I've been bought at a price. I'm no longer to serve myself. I'm to serve you. Whatever you command me, whatever you ask of me today, I'll obey you. There's no telling what God could do with a church like that. Well, that's um, something that's included in my prayer boot camp. And if you'll slide a couple of slides over for me, uh, I, we've provided you a um, learning map from my prayer boot camp. And um, back when the War Room movie came out, I had the privilege of uh, premiering it for, in a lot of places and um, with leaders. And I realized people are going to come out of prayer boot camp wanting to learn to pray. And most of the churches I knew of weren't equipped to help people to pray. And so I've developed this learning map as a, a, a prayer guide. And I do a prayer boot camp over a course of several hours or half a day and uh, to help people get together with seasoned intercessors. And uh, you, you pray with people who know how to pray and you learn to pray by praying. And uh, I wish I had time to introduce you to the whole thing, but I'm going to have lunch with some of your prayer ministry leaders. And uh, my hope is that maybe you all will do some prayer boot camps to help people learn to pray. Uh, in the uh, prayer boot camp, it's based on a book by the Kendrick brothers who developed the movie. It's called The Battle Plan for Prayer. And The Battle Plan for Prayer is the textbook for the prayer boot camp. And I would commend it to you. It is chock full of lots of very practical insights on prayer. Uh, one of the things the Kendricks do is use the ACTS acronym for the types of prayer. And so we talk about adoration, which is uh, to praise God, to tell him how much we love him, to worship God for who he is, to elevate his attributes and realize uh, his character. I want that to be my character. I want him to transform me to look like that. Uh, adoration creates that opportunity for us to do that. A second kind is confession. Uh, it um, basically means to agree with God, uh, to say the same thing, and we confess to him our sin, 
and agree, God, that sin is not like you and it shouldn't be like me. And we repent of our sin and we begin to live our life the way God would want us to. That's an important part of prayer. But another aspect of confession is that we can confess truth. Like when Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. We can, we can confess the truth of our circumstances, confess who God is and what he can do. And that's an important part of prayer. Thanksgiving is where we express our gratitude to God for what he has done for us. And uh, we praise him and thank him for the things he does for others. We thank him for answered prayers. Uh, that's an important part of prayer. And then supplication is the one we usually rush to quickly, and that's the asking prayers. We ask God for ourselves and our needs, but we also pray for others. And uh, those are four kinds of prayer that you'll be working on in, uh, throughout your life, but this might be a helpful uh, guide for you. One of the things the Kendrick brothers talk about, you'll see in the upper right-hand corner of your learning map, there are 10 locks that hinder prayer. And um, I'm going to, I don't have time to deal with these scriptures, all of them. So let me just rush through these. If whoever's doing my PowerPoint, I'm going to rush through these. You've got the scripture references. In the prayer boot camp, what I do is, is um, I... I have these cards with the scriptures on them, and we do a matching exercise with the group. Somebody will read a scripture, and then we will identify which uh, lock that describes. Let me go through these scriptures real quickly with you. Number one, lock number one, you'll see that list of the locks on the right-hand side in the green box, no relationship to Jesus. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. You can't get access to God except through Jesus Christ. The second lock is an unrepentant heart. Psalm 66, 18, if I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord won't hear me. Uh, the next one, number three, is praying for show, where Jesus said, uh, when you pray, you're not to be as the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners in order to be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. And let me, uh, I don't have time to read all of these scriptures, but let's look at the topics. Number four is a repetitive empty words. Um, you don't just say the same words over and over and over again at, in rote. Uh, that's, that's a religious activity, and this is about a relationship to a person. And so uh, you need to learn to pray like that. Uh, number five is uh, prayers that are not prayed. In James 4, 2, you're envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because... You do not ask. We need to pray those prayers. Uh, number six is a lustful heart. Uh, number seven is mistreating your spouse. Number eight, ignoring the poor. He who shuts his ear to the cry of the poor will also cry himself and not be answered. 
Uh, number nine, bitterness and unforgiveness. Uh, we need to uh, forgive others and not hold on to bitterness. And then uh, number 10, a faithless, unbelieving heart. Well, those are 10 locks that hinder prayer. And if you want to be effective in your prayer life, it would behoove you to get rid of the things that hinder your prayers. And God is loving toward us, and he wants us to have a meaningful, powerful prayer life. And so he's told us these things, if you do these things, it's going to hinder your prayer. So get rid of that stuff. Don't do that stuff. And uh, that helps us in our relationship with the Lord. The next topic in the lower right-hand corner you see are 10 keys that unlock the power of prayer. And you'll notice the, the keys have scripture references on them, and then there's a list of 10, um, 10 keys. And uh, I don't have time to go over that with you, but that's part of the reason we printed out this uh, prayer uh, boot camp learning map for you. You can go back and read the hindrances to prayer, the locks that hinder prayer. Uh, you can read the 10 keys that unlock the power of prayer. And um, I'm going to encourage you to do that on your own. And the learning map is there to kind of guide you. You'll see the diagram of the homage ceremony that might be a reminder to you to begin each day in full surrender to King Jesus but uh, I want us to move toward the uh, end of this. One of those, uh, if you'll go to the one on uh, praying in agreement, uh, and it's, uh, yeah, I think that's it. One of the ways that God re reveals his will to a family, to a church, or to a group, committee, elder board, whatever, one of the ways God does that is through prayer, and I want to take just a few minutes to introduce that to you. Let me remind you of the scripture in Matthew 18. It's one of the keys. If two of you agree on earth about anything that they may ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who's in heaven. For where two or three have gathered together in my name, there I am in their midst." Now, if you stop and think about it, Jesus lives in us, doesn't he? And when I'm all by myself praying, I've got all there is of Jesus. He dwells in me. But here we see that Jesus says, when two or three of you gather in my name, I'm there. Well, um, he's with me even when I'm all alone. But there's something about the presence and guidance of Christ that we experience together with others that we cannot experience alone. And uh, this prayer of agreement, uh, I've known this a long time, and maybe you've been like me. You've been in a prayer meeting, and you know this promise. And somebody prays a prayer. Say, Tom, prays a prayer. And I think, well, that sounds like a good idea. And I say, Lord, I agree with Tom. And then it doesn't come true. Then I have to ask myself the question, is this promise no longer valid or is God looking for something different in what it means to agree in prayer? Is it just me agreeing with you and then us asking God to bless what we've agreed on or is there something different? I believe it's something different and I want to introduce you real quickly. I think we may just stay with this next slide. And let me uh, introduce you to uh, praying in agreement. 
if, uh, if God is present and I'm praying, and then I'm praying together with others, what does it mean to pray together in agreement? And if you'll just hold that slide there, I'll uh, walk through this. The first thing I think I need to do is understand I need to be in an agreeing relationship with God. And there's some things, we just read through all those locks that hinder prayer. Those things can mess up my relationship with God, and I'll be out of fellowship with Him. There's some big ones. One is an unrepentant heart. If I'm holding on to sin or iniquity in my heart, the psalmist said, the Lord won't hear me. And I need to get rid of my sin. I need to confess it. I need to repent of it. And I need to begin to live God's way if I'm going to be able to pray with power. Uh, a second issue is to, I need to pray in faith, believing, because if I pray doubting, the scripture says I shouldn't expect an answer to my prayers. Uh, another one is uh, the importance of praying um, I'm sorry, uh, unbelief is, uh, is the other, unbelief and then wrong motives. I'm, uh, wrong motives is another one where if we pray to consume things on our own lust, those uh, wrong motives get in the way. And I need to get rid of my wrong motives. I need to pray in faith, believing. I need to get rid of my sin. And then I'm in a position where I can be right with God to pray. But uh, if I'm going to be right with God in prayer, the people I'm praying with need to be right with God in prayer as well. And I had an occasion where I was working with a, a ministry, uh, and they asked me to work on a book, to develop a book for them. And um, I got started on it, and I hit a wall. And I've had writer's block lots of times, but there was something different about this. And I was crying out to the Lord, praying, Lord, what is wrong with me? And I just knew there's something wrong here, and I don't know what it is, and I need you to reveal it to me. And I wasn't getting an answer to that prayer. And I believe that if there's something wrong, God wants to correct it. He's going to let me know. And I wasn't getting anything, but I came to a passage of Scripture that said, remove the dross from the silver and you'll have silver for the silversmith. And I felt like it was important, so I began to meditate on this passage of Scripture. God was speaking to me through His Word, and I began to sense, Lord, is it possible that the problem's not with me this time, but it's with this organization I'm working with? I didn't know. But I, I continued to struggle. We had a meeting where I was supposed to present a manuscript, and I didn't have it. And I said, we need to call off the meeting. They said, no, that's all the more reason we need to meet. Show up in Chicago and meet with us. And so I went to Chicago. I told them about the struggles I had been having. And I posed the question, is it possible that there's some kind of problem within your organization that's hindering me from getting this work done for you. And the guy from the organization said, you don't know how true that is. He said, on Tuesday of this week, we had a meeting of our board of trustees and uh, our leader said, uh, we are going to have a solemn assembly to bring all of our 
uh, leaders and our people together to deal with our sin because there's sin in the camp and we've got to deal with it. I struggled for months and couldn't get, through, get a breakthrough. And then all of a sudden, one day it's like the barrier's gone. And I started writing, things started flowing, I'm, things made sense. And I went to a meeting where this organization talked about a, their solemn assembly. And they told about how they had plans for their solemn assembly. And they said, we never got to our plans. God had a plan. And he dealt seriously with our sin. I looked on my calendar and my breakthrough started one day after their solemn assembly. And I realized how important it is if we're praying together with others not only do you need to be right with the Lord, but I do too. And I can be out of fellowship with God and mess up something in our praying together, something just not right, and you may not have any idea that clouds the problem unless God reveals it to you. And so we need to be right with the Lord and right with uh, one another and there are a couple of things that can get in the way of us being right with each other. One of those is pride. If I think more highly of myself than I ought, and I think that, you know, I'm walking with the Lord closer than you all are, and if you all will just listen to me and agree with me, we'll get this right, and we can ask God, and he's going to answer this prayer. Well, that kind of arrogance and pride is a significant problem. The scripture says God opposes the proud and he gives grace to the humble. And the reality is we need each other and God can speak even through the youngest and most immature follower of Christ and say something to us that we need to hear. And so I need to get rid of my pride and realize we need each other and my contribution and your contribution are all important. Uh, the other thing, though, is that we can have broken relationships within this group of people. And if I have caused an offense toward you and I've not sought to be reconciled with you, that's going to be a hindrance to our prayer. Or if I stand praying and there I realize that uh, you've done something to me and I'm holding on to bitterness and unforgiveness, I need to forgive and let it go. And we need to reconcile relationships so that we're right with one another, we're right with the Lord, then we're ready to pray. And then you, you ask the question, so what are we going to pray about? Well, um, the more important thing is not what do we want. The question is, what's God want? And we need to pray according to His will. And so when we come to pray together, the more important thing is that we ask the Lord, Lord, what do you want in this particular matter? And we begin to pray all around it. And as God begins to reveal to us what he wants, then we say, God, would you do that? And he says, thanks for asking. And I kind of envision this prayer is like a jigsaw puzzle. If you've ever done a jigsaw puzzle, you can look at the pieces and some of the pieces don't make any sense. You don't have a clue what that is. But when you start putting the pieces together, it becomes more clear. 
And when we pray, I can pray. And then uh, Tom prays a prayer, and I, he quotes a scripture. And I realize, you know, my prayer's not quite in alignment with that scripture. And I may adjust how I'm praying to line it up with scripture. And Candace may pray an illustration from scripture. And Leanne may pray a, a, about a different aspect of this issue. And we start praying all around it. And God's putting the pieces together. And I've been in prayer meetings where we're seeking the Lord about what he wants us to do in a particular matter. And it may not happen in a single prayer meeting, but when God starts putting the pieces together, there comes a point in time when you see the big picture and it takes your breath away. And you say, God, are you serious? Is that what you want to do? Ask me. One final story, and I'll wrap it up. But Henry Blackaby, when Richard, his son, was uh, six years old, Henry decided it's time for Richard to get a bicycle for his birthday. And so uh, he uh, said the challenge was to help Richard decide what he wanted. Well, Henry had already gone to the bicycle shop, and he picked out a blue Schwinn bicycle, and he hid it in the garage. And then uh, his challenge was to help Richard decide what he wanted. Well, Richard began to notice with some help from dad that uh, the other boys his age all had bicycles and he decided it was time for him to get a bicycle. So they examined the different brands of bicycles and Richard came to the conclusion that Schwinn bicycles were the best. And then they looked at the color options, and Richard decided he wanted a blue Schwinn bike for his, bi for his birthday. Well, what do you think he got? He got the blue Schwinn bike that was in the garage. And Henry said, that's the way God is working with us. He already has a plan. He knows what we need. He knows what he wants to do. He's got the resources to do it. But what he wants to do is guide us as his people to ask him. And when we are seeking the Lord's counsel and he begins to reveal to us, here's what I'd like for you to ask. And so we pray in faith, believing that God has spoken to us and that's what he wants to do. When God does it, who do you think gets credit for it? You and I don't get any credit for it. We know God reveals that. We ask God for it. God provided what he already had in mind to do. And he gets the credit and the glory for it. Uh, I hope and pray that over the course of the next few weeks, as you all start learning to pray uh, more and together, that God will uh, use these experiences with you. And as we uh, wrap up this service, I want to, uh, uh, we're going to have a response time, and there are going to be some intercessors who will be here to pray with you if you want prayer. But it may be that some of you, when I told the story about the college student and her hindrance to get close to God in prayer, you may realize that's my story. And you may need prayer. Uh, there are going to be people here who'd be willing to pray for you. There may be others of you who realize, I, I want to surrender fully and completely to King Jesus. And uh, it may be that you'll uh, want to right where you are respond to King Jesus in prayer. I, I'm guessing that it would be okay if you want to come and kneel up at the altar just to spend some time with your Lord. You can do that. 
but let's, uh, let's surrender to him, and in the days to come, let God teach you to pray. You remember Jesus' disciples in Luke 11, verse 1, they said, Lord, teach us to pray, and uh, he wants to do that. Uh, let me pray for you, and then we'll uh, sing. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you, uh, you saw fit through Christ to rend the temple veil so that we could have access to your holy throne room. And, uh, Lord, you invite us to come there with our requests. I pray for this church, Lord, that you would teach them to pray. Uh, draw them into an intimate love relationship with you. Lord, bring them to a place of full surrender to you and a willingness to obey you. And I pray, Father, that as they uh, get right with you and right with one another, you'll begin to reveal to them all that you want to do in them and through them to bring glory and honor to yourself and to accomplish your kingdom purposes. Uh, bless this time of response, Lord, and draw us to yourself, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for joining us for today's Bible teaching from Island Community Church in downtown Memphis. We want to encourage you to join us in person for worship soon. No podcast can ever replace the good design of God in gathering in person with other believers for worship in a local church. For more gospel resources and ways to connect with ICC, you can visit us at iccmemphis.com. As we close, we offer a prayer of blessing for you from Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Thanks again for joining us.